I found out real quick, I'm not my pocketbook. I'm not the car I drive. I'm not my apartment or my home. What I am is I'm a child of God. And so let's find out if you like that guy before we spend all that time getting involved. And so all those character defects can be dealt with the same way. You're going to have to quit doing them and pray to have God change you. And then God's going to change because nothing changes by writing about it. You're still a sober horse thief is what happens. You got sober and nothing's changed until six and seven. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of Mr. Reno John A. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But... First things first, this episode is brought to you by, sponsored by, if you will, John and Joshua and Anna Lee and Tanya. Do you know what John and Joshua and Anna Lee and Tanya did? Well, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow PayPal tab and they made a, a contribution. Thank you, John and Joshua and Anna Lee and Tanya. This episode is coming right out to you. Just as a little side note here, my wife, the lovely Mrs. M, has recently been listening to the podcast, my podcast, actually a little bit more. She really doesn't listen to it that much, but... After one of her walks the other day, and she goes out and walks and listens to it, she said, why do you do all that silliness on the front end of the podcast? And I said, I really don't have a good answer for that. And it's interesting because she has to live with my constant gibberish, so she probably doesn't appreciate it very much. And I know there are others who have written in and say they don't appreciate it as much as well. But all I can do is be be true to myself. And just as a another side note, Miss Ashley came up to me in the meeting today, a meeting that we have here in the Frisco group, and she said, hey, I want to let you know that me and my husband, Arthur, listen to you. And we absolutely love that gibberish and silliness stuff that you put on the beginning of the episode. I think it's fantastic. So... 
You can't please all the people all the time. <laughs> anyway, I, John M., just really just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Remember, no matter who you are, or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table to all, and we are glad you have joined us. If you haven't been, by the way, this is just another little side note. I started to uh, record this episode today, and I don't know what the heck firmware is on a PC, but it's really, it threw off my mojo. In other words, I sat down and I'm ready to record an episode and firmware needed to be updated and firmware was just really a pain in the backside, if you know what I mean. But nonetheless, if you haven't been to our website lately, please venture on to that particular location. The lovely Miss M... Mrs. M has created a website, which I think is just absolutely fantastic. And on it now, we have, let me, in fact, let me take a little stroll over here. So if you go to the website, soberspeak.com, and then you click on blog, you will notice that you have a combination of selections, all posts, transcripts, and listener contributions. And the all posts is just all of them. And the transcripts is we've started to put transcripts of the various speakers on the website. And the reason we've done that is because we've had a a lot of you request the transcript. Some of you like to read better than you like to listen. And so we put the transcripts on the rep on the website. And then the other piece though, which I'm really excited about, it's called listener contribution contributions. And um, so we have had, we've had a couple as of this recording, as they say, I've got two up there. Uh, one from Re Rebecca T, who talks all about Bill C's episode number 113, steps one, two, and three of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we also have Greg P on there, which writes a blog on episode number 187, which is Matthew M's The Surrenders, steps 10 and 11. And they both did an absolutely fantastic job. And guess what? We have more coming in that I know that we actually have in the queue already, and they will be released soon. But it's from Catherine and Suzanne and Kathy and Mr. Jim. And if you want to get in on the fun and write a blog, for the Sober Speak blog, uh, email me at john, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and we will be happy to let you write something for the website. And I'll give you a little bit more direction when you uh, email me in, but I'm just so happy, thankful, joyous, whatever it is to have you guys contributing to the website and being able to post your thoughts on the website. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for all who have contributed and all of those who will be contributing in the future. All right, now on to Mr. Reno John A with steps six and seven of 
Alcoholics Anonymous, this would be a great one to write a blog on, by the way. But nonetheless, um, John and I, Reno John and I, recorded this while we were at the Texas State AA convention in Fort Worth, Texas recently. Uh, you'll be hearing, you'll hear us talking about the setup in the room and uh, on the on, on the front of this episode. And an, an interesting side note, his lovely bride, Patsy, was with us in the room. In fact, uh, she makes a little, a couple little cameo appearances on the episode. But John addresses, obviously, steps six and seven. We're going to talk about relationships, sex, always a fan favorite, progress, not perfection, secrets, and honesty, and much, much more. Ladies and gents, without further ado, I present to you Reno John A. addressing Steps 6 and 7 in Alcoholics Anonymous. Enjoy, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody, so we are sitting here again, one more time, uno mas tiempo, with Mr. John A., also known as Reno John. So John, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours. Thank you, John. My name is uh, John. I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is a gift from God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I haven't had a drink of alcohol or mood-altering drug since October 7th, 1981. And uh, moved to Dallas in 83, living currently in Arlington, Texas, about five miles from uh, the Cowboys Stadium. So that's where I'm at today. So back to basics, my prime, my home group, by the way. Back to basics. And that, I think that is different from the last time. Yes, we it is. Right? COVID created a lot of things, and we formed a new group. Uh, went Skype only, then we started having live meetings. Today we're having live meetings seven days a week uh, at Back to Basics in on Arkansas Road in uh, Arlington, Texas. In fact, we're having a speaker meeting tonight. You know, June 10th is Founders Day. Yeah. But at Back to Basics, we call it B2B, we're having Founders Day every Saturday in June at 7 a.m., 7 p.m. And tonight we have have Don J got sober October 15th, 1958. So he got 63 years sober. Next week we have Bob R. He's the newcomer. He's only got 45 years sober. <laughs> I can tell you a lot about Bob, one of my one of my closest friends, but he'll be there next week on the 19th of June. And then uh, Bob C is uh, the wrap-up. Bob, as you know, got sober in 1962, so he's come up on 59, 60 years sober. Oh, yeah, Bob C., yes. Yeah, yeah I've had him actually on the podcast yeah. before. So we're excited. Uh, we've got uh, a heck of a format for, if you're in around the Arlington area in June, then you want to be at the Founders Meeting Saturday night in, in the Back to Basics. And then next month, we really got it because it's ladies. Which night. actually may be when this episode gets released. Yeah. So that's like, ladies' night on Saturday night. Ladies' night. I've got all ladies speaking on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> we got some Hillary, you know, Hillary R. Yeah. The singer, so red, so yeah. The singer, yeah, yeah. she's, she's going to be there. Uh, we got Linda from Harbor Group's going to be there. We got a great uh, 
uh, ladies' night coming up in July. So it's ladies' yeah. night. Dun, Favorite dun, time dun, to go out drinking, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and explain our uh, setup here because this is unusual for me. So <clears throat> you've been over to record with me at my house before in what I call the studio, which is basically my guest bedroom. And uh, I've also referred to, quote, Studio B as a venue we have. Well, actually, when I not a venue, my condominium that we have when I'm up in Crested Butte, and I record people up there. So this would be what we call, I guess, Studio C. And what Studio C is, is that we are at the Texas State Convention in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I came out here to stay for the weekend. And John, as he mentioned, lives in Arlington. He has driven over. He's going to pick up Don Jay tonight and take him back. But we're sitting here in my hotel room. And the thing that is unusual about it is I have these mics mounted and it is on, what do you, what do you call it? Just, just the drawers, if you will. Uh, and, and so, uh, (laughs) It's unusual. I'll put it that way. And I'm hoping that these mics stay in place for our entire interview. But I'm so thankful you made it out. And we have a guest. And if you will come over here real quick, Miss Patsy. John's wife is with us. Yeah, she was was in my house last time. And just say, hi, Sober Speak listeners. Oh, howdy, Sober Speak listeners. Yeah, howdy. Yeah, that's much better. She's a native Texan, you know. She is. a hatchy girl. Yeah. Just a country bumpkin. So Patsy is here with us and just kind of uh, observing, uh, listening to John tell his story probably for the umpteenth time, and I'm, I'm so glad that she came here to join us today. All right. So... What do we want to talk about? So we talked about this a little on the front end, and we said, you know, maybe it's best to go ahead and dive into steps six and seven of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Step six, humbly asked him to remove our short, wait a sec. Did I get that right? Yeah. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And then I do this from memory. And sometimes. (laughs) Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem, John. These steps, uh, my sponsor pointed out that what they've done for people like me, because I would would be like on the fourth step. Wasn't the fourth step. It was the fifth step that bothered me. I didn't mind writing that stuff down. But I didn't want to share it with anybody else. That's between me and God. Not t- telling anybody about it. That's between me and God. I'll tell it to God. But I'm not going to tell it to another human being. That's, that's none of their business. And uh, he pointed out to me that I wasn't to decide who to take the fifth step with till I was done with the fourth. And uh, he said, what they've done for people like you is they numbered these things. So you don't have to think about Step two till you're done with step one. You don't have to think about step three till you're done with step two. And and I think the problem that people have that I had, uh, it gets to be a, you know, we go through the process. Step one identifies the problem and that we're alcoholic and can't manage our own lives. Step two is the solution to the problem of step one. Coming to believe that a power greater than herself will restore us to sanity. Step three, we turn our, li- our will and our life over to the solution we found in step two. Very well organized. And uh, then we have to uncover, discover, and discard. That's where four and five come in. So we go through that process of writing that down, making the four columns, you know, writing it down, 
share with another human being. We end that pain that goes through all that. And we've taken hours to do that, hours to do our fifth step. We're done. We think we're excited. We go home. We take the book down from the shelf, and we talk about what it is, and, and, and then we say the seventh step prayer, and that's it. And the problem is we've gone through all that pain, all that work, and nothing's changed. Nothing changes in four and five. We think it does. We think that if we if, that we can inventory these problems away, that if we write them down, peel the onion a little more, write them down, that uh, we'll get well. You can't inventory that away. Nothing changes in four and five. I was sitting with a good friend of mine years, 20, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, Kevin. Kevin died, passed away 11 years sober. And we were both about five years sober. And he was, he was, he said, I got to go. It was Friday afternoon. He said, I got to get out of here. I got to go home and finish my inventory. I said, you wrote another inventory? Yep. That year, Kevin wrote four fourth steps. I said, what are you doing an inventory about? He said, well, you know, relationships. Got a problem with relationships. Got to peel the onion a little more. You know, peel the onion back, find out causes and conditions of why I'm having problems with relationships. I'm doing my fifth step with my sponsor tonight. And I thought, oh. You've done four four-steps this year. He said, yeah, i got to peel the onion. I'm still having problems with relationships. And I said, well, you want me to tell you why you're having problems with relationships? Save you that inventory? He said, yeah, why am I having problems? So it's very simple. The reason you have problems with relationships, Kevin, is because you're a selfish, self-centered son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> See, selfish, self-centeredness, that way you believe is the root of our problem. And that's not going to change because you're right about it. See, we learned how to change in step one. Step one, what do we do? We learned that uh, how to get rid of uh, the, the desire to drink. Well, we, what did we do? We didn't drink. We talked to our sponsor about it. And we uh, prayed to have God change us. Okay, We didn't drink. Well, we went to meetings, talked to our sponsor, and then prayed to have God remove that compulsion to drink. And what happened? God removed the compulsion to drink. So how are we going to change? You know, Are we going to be able to inventory all those character defects away? I was sitting in a meeting, gal's uh, shortly after Kevin's deal, and uh, it was at Dallas North, and this gal was chairing the meeting, and she the topic was finances. She was done. She just did an inventory on her finances because she was having troubles with her finances. She was trying to find out what her problem was with her finances. She was peeling the onion a little more, getting down to causing this why she was having problems with her relationship or with, with finances. And it got to me, I said, well, the reason you have problems with finances is because you're a selfish, self-centered son of a bitch. You like to spend more than you make. This isn't complicated stuff. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. You can write about that all you want. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. Right. You know? You're not going to be an inventory of your problems away. Yeah. So, <laughs> since we learned how to change in step one, and I had a terrible time with sex. I, I did. I'll tell you, I had a terrible time with sex. In fact, I was after I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was reading in a in a book uh, or not in, in the newspaper, and it said that uh, the average average this was in the eighties. Mm-hmm. The average normal healthy American male had had nine sex partners in his lifetime, and the average normal healthy female had had like six sex partners in her lifetime. <laughs> I read that and I thought. They, uh, they got to be talking about it every six months. <laughs> I mean, if that's average, I feel bad for those normies. Some of them ain't getting any. We raise that average up a whole lot. You know, we just raise it up a whole lot. So if that's my condition, I mean, I'm sitting there, and uh, I used to say, I'm the perfect guy to talk about this. 
You know, because prior to coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had this terrible sex problem. And after coming into AA and getting God in my life, I've really come to see that that sex is a beautiful, sacred, holy experience, really. Mm-hmm. Something that should be uh, enjoyed and shared by the three people involved. Let <laughs> 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 you know where I am on that deal. <laughs> How am I going to be different? How am I going to change? Am I going to be able to write about that? I mean, six and seven is where the change takes place, not four and five. And we think it is. We think we're going to inventory that problem away. And by the way, until I get that sex deal fixed, I don't have a shot at having a healthy relationship. You know, so how am I going to change? How am I going to get, how am I going to get that fixed? I mean, am I going to be able to write about it? You know, I tell you, I was sitting there <laughs> talking to a guy and uh, how did I learn how not to drink? I go back to step one. Well, I didn't drink. I attended meetings. I talked to my sponsor about it. And I prayed to have God change me. So if I'm going to get over that sex problem, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to have to stop having affairs one day at a time. I'd rather write about it, wouldn't you? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will change. You know, but you'll feel better. you feel like you're doing something if you write about it. You know? Would you get sober? Let me ask you a question. Would you ever get sober... If you wrote about drinking and continue to drink. No. No. So you're going to have to quit having affairs one day at a time, talk to your sponsor about it, and pray to have God change you. You know? And so uh, we, yeah, we think we can continue to have those affairs and write about it. <laughs> it ain't going to work. <laughs> we, can, we can continue to uh, steal and write about stealing. Right. You know? We continue to have all those character defects. In them. Then you have to quit doing them. You know? Much easier to write about it. So that's when the change occurs. The change takes place in six and seven. So what happened is I quit dating. You quit what? I quit dating. And I didn't date anybody. And I learned to be, I had to be alone with me. And I learned to be friends with John. And by the way, until I'm friends with John, I haven't got a shot at being a friend with you. And so I remember the first time I went to a show by myself. Went to see The Abyss. (laughs) The Abyss, it was a great show. It was the first movie I went to by myself. The Abyss? The Abyss, yeah. (laughs) Well, it was out then. It was popular. And and I enjoyed it. And so I I learned to be alone by myself and comfortable in my own skin by myself. Didn't have to be in a crowd with other people. And I wasn't lonely. I I learned to be alone without being lonely. And, uh, And then I learned how to learn to be friends with men. Because until I'm friends with a man, I don't have a shot at being friends with a woman. Mm. Where I can be in a relationship where sex isn't complicating the relationship. See? So I can be friends with men. And I start hanging out with men, doing things with men. I have some men friends today that I would die for. Mm. And I know they would die for me. Mm-hmm. As close a relationship as I've ever had with anybody. I've got three or four very close friends. And... uh and so I wasn't dating. People say, how long did you not date? I said, I don't know. I didn't date for a while. And then I, Christmas came. So do you recommend that to sponsees and such? That if you've got, you- you got a problem with relationships, stop it. Don't carry with you into the next one this, all the wreckage that you got with you in this one. Right. You know, you can't do that. you got to stop. You have to stop dating. Stop seeing other people. Stop doing things with the opposite sex or the sex of your choice. Right. You know, 
uh, quit it. And, and you know, there's that, I, I don't know, random number of a year, you know. I have no idea about that. I think that, I will tell you, when I got divorced, I'll never forget, when I got divorced, I had nine years sober, and I got divorced in October, and I was at Christmas time, I was at a Christmas party, and there was a guy at the Christmas party, and he uh, had about 25 years sober and did the steps all around the Metroplex and was very well respected, and I was at his house, and we were talking, I loved the guy and he said how long are you guys married and i said well, we're married about six years he said well it's gonna take you three years to get through this and i was shocked and i was in a lot of pain that i had three years of this crap and i was talking to my sponsor the next day and i said gene said it'd take me three years my sponsor said well john i've got a lot of faith and confidence in you i believe if you really work on it you can drag that out to five <laughs> and then he asked me he said why would you limit god and his ability to heal you and tell him it's going to take you three years to fix me, God. So I don't know how long you have to not date. I, mean, I wouldn't put a year on it. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put a six months on it. I wouldn't put two years on it. I don't know. I just didn't date for a while. I have no idea how long it was. But I remember Christmas came. A guy invited me to his company's office. But his male friend, not in AA. But I befriended this guy. We were friends. He invited me to his company's Christmas party. I went to it. And this was in the 80s. And uh, 80. Would have been 83, 84. And it was at this big hotel. And back, even back in then, you couldn't smoke in the hotel rooms. You had to go outside on the balcony and smoke. And so I, I was smoking back then. I loved to smoke back then. And I was smoking out on the balcony. And a gal came out. She smoked. So we bonded. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> We're out there smoking and talking. Her name was Nancy. And we had a good time. I got her phone number. and She was on another balcony? No, she was on the same She was at the party. She oh, was at the okay. Christmas sorry. party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're out there on the balcony smoking. So we, I got her number. And I called my sponsor the next day. And I said, said how'd the party go? I said, the party went great. Went great. Had a good time. Met a gal. Met a gal. He said, you did? And I said, yeah, I'm thinking about taking her out. I think I'd be okay if I took her out. He said, well, let me just ask you one question. You think you, you can be honest with her? If you can be totally honest, you can take her out. And I said, well, I can be totally honest. He said, I don't think so, but we'll find out. So, <laughs> so we go out, and I, he said, I said, how do I ask her out? He said, well, you call her up and ask her out on a date. Oh, God, that's hard. Any guy knows that's hard to do, man. Mm -hmm. The telephone gets to weigh 100 pounds when yeah. you pick that phone up and call her. And I said, well, that's not the way I do it. I like to know where she's going, then I will appear where she's at, you know? And, uh, and in <laughs> AA, we're very territorial. We always sit in the same place. So I'll be here. I'll see her, spot her. Here it is, Saturday night. She's sitting over there. I'm sitting over here. The next day, I will be back here, the same group, 7 o'clock meeting, Saturday night, and I will move a little closer. Next month, next week, I'll be back, move a little closer. Next week, I'll be back. So it takes me about a month to get over there close to where she's at. And then I'll talk to her, find out where she is, find out, go to coffee after. Ten of us at the coffee table. She's sitting at this end of the coffee table. I'm at this end of the coffee table. Every week, I start to move a little closer down to the end of the coffee table. Finally, about a month later, I ask her out. <laughs> <laughs> takes me two months to get a date. <laughs> and she says, yes, and we go out. I said, no, no game plan. No more game plan. You're going to be honest. You call her up, ask her out. So I call up, ask her out. She said, yes. So we got on this date. We did everything the first night. We had coffee. We had dinner. Uh, we went to a movie, and we went dancing all the first night. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do on the second date. We did all the first date. <laughs> took her off. Took her home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Dropped her off. Didn't have to ask to come in for coffee. You ever notice alcoholics are the only people who drink coffee at 2 a.m.? <laughs> Okay, maybe that's why I want us to go to bed. We, yeah. uh, here for a cup of coffee? <laughs> Can I come in for coffee? You got coffee in there? 
<laughs> just dropped off. I was so excited. I went home. I was 2.30, got home. Called my sponsor, 2.30 in the morning. I said, well, I'm home. He said, are you alone? I said, yeah. He said, the only time I want you to call me at 2.30 in the morning is when you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I started dating Nancy. We just dated. Yeah. We just dated. And I learned a lot. I learned how, I learned how to keep my mouth shut. You know? I have the problem. I like to make uh, statements that have long-term ramifications based on a short-term emotion. Say that again. Long-term Long-term ramifications, ramifications based on a short-term, short-term emotion. emotion. I get yeah. it. <laughs> so on that third date, you know the third date conversations we like to have? I don't know how yours went. Mine always went something like this on the third date. Well, you know, Kathy, uh, gee, this is progressing much faster. <laughs> than I've ever had it happen before. Never in my life has this happened. I got to tell you, when I asked you out, I really wasn't looking for a relationship. But I I guess this is a God deal. (laughs) And you make that decision about where you're going with this relationship. What are we doing here? We're going to be friends. We're going to be intimate. We're going to be exclusive. Whatever you have, whatever decision you make in that third date conversation, boom, it's wrong. You blew it. You can't, I don't know how to fix that. It's over. You might as well just say, well, we screwed up. Have a good life and walk away. Because <laughs> you can't fix that. No matter what you decide, it's wrong. I got friends I sponsor. They come to me and they say, you know, I'm, I'm dating Susan. Yeah, I saw you were with her Friday night. Well, we went out Friday night. We went out Saturday night. We went out Sunday night. Monday we had that talk and we decided, <laughs> we decided we're just going to be friends. Really? Yeah, you, you decided that. You're just going to be, yeah. Well, you blew it. What do you mean? Well, what happens if God wants you to be more than that? Mm-hmm. You can't. Because you decided to just be friends, mm-hmm. you know? Other guys I got, they come to me and they say, well, you know, I've been seeing Karen. Yeah, I saw it. We were with her Friday. Yeah, we went out Friday, Saturday. We've decided, John, what we're going to do, we're just going to be, you know, uh, sex buddies. <laughs> no emotion, no commitment. <laughs> right. When one of us gets a little anxious, you know, we just, we just, we just sex buddies. I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you blew it. You know, what happens if God wants to be more than that? Right. You can't, you know? By the way, I've never seen that work with no <laughs> No, I haven't either. <laughs> it's a good thought, but it just doesn't work. Right. Doesn't work, All that friends with benefits. So you got to keep your mind. You're going to have to let God make that relationship what God wants it to be, not what you want it to be. You know, you, in step one, you admitted you, your life's unmanageable. You can't manage your own life, so let's manage this relationship and decide what we're going to do. What are we doing here? No, keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just dated. We never had that conversation about where are we going with this? Right. What's happening? And uh, so we're, we're, we, and I learned how to be honest, which was totally, totally unexpected and totally came out of collapse because it was one of those times when uh, my sponsor had told me that if you have a date, you got to ask her out at least five days ahead of time. And by the way, Ladies, if, if you're dating a guy and he didn't ask you out five days ahead, don't, don't go. Don't go. Because he's shopping. <laughs> you know? He calls you up Saturday and wants you to go out Saturday night. Don't go. He's been shopping all week. <laughs> you win by default. You know? <laughs> and that's the same thing, same thing with the guys. I used to ask a girl out five days ahead of time. And then the girl would say, well, John, you know, uh, I live one day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> call me Saturday. Don't call, guys. Don't call. I want to promise you, you'll call her, she'll have plans. I'd call them and they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I have plans. <laughs> no, you don't plan ahead. One day at a time, right? You don't plan. Well, he, he just asked this morning. He should have called a little earlier. 
don't do that. Don't do it. You know, we were going to get involved in this romantic relationship and be totally committed and we can't plan ahead five days. Give me a break. So I asked her out five, on Tuesday to go out on Saturday. She said, yes, so I'm excited. I planned it Saturday because uh, we get paid on the 1st and 15th. The 15th fell on Sunday, but, you know, they always pay you on Friday. Right. When the payday falls on the weekend, by God, they should pay you Friday. And that was it. I went Friday to get my paycheck. Office manager says, well, the paychecks, they come from New York. They didn't come in. Oh. So uh, we'll pay you Monday. No, no, no. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I got a date tomorrow. I got to have my check. Give me, I need my paycheck. Well, they don't come in. You get paid. No, they uh, check your employee manual, John. I hate, <laughs> I hate those employee manuals. It says real explicit in there. If payday falls on weekend, you get paid the following Monday. She says, they'll be in here, probably in tomorrow, but we'll distribute them Monday. When they come in, we distribute them. They usually come in on Friday. We distribute them Friday. They didn't come in. You get paid Monday. Now I'm so I'm so screwed up. I gotta leave. I leave the office. I go home. I always do the worst thing. The worst thing when I'm in all that anxiety is I seek isolation. Mm. Worst thing you can do is seek isolation. I stop, buy a carton of cigarettes, pack a diet coke, go home, lock the door, pull the curtains, drink my diet coke, smoke my cigarettes, and think about it. <laughs> I got I got a date. I only got I only got seven dollars. I only got seven dollars in my pocket. I got a date with Nancy. What am I going to do? What am I going to? I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm smoking cigarettes, thinking about <laughs> about six o'clock. I have an intuitive thought. God blessed me with an intuitive thought. There's a Tom Thumb right next to where she her apartment complex is. Back then, Tom Thumb would cash a check for a hundred dollars. I'm going to stop on my way to pick her up at Tom Thumb, write a check for a hundred dollars. They'll give me a hundred dollars. I'll take her on this date and uh, spend, and we'll have a great time on the date. Monday morning, they can't cat, right. cash the check on Saturday. <laughs> Monday will come. I take my check to the bank. Ah, I got it solved. I'm feeling so good. I can go to a meeting now. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to a meeting. I'm at Dallas North. My sponsor's there. Not his home group. He should not be there. <laughs> I avoided him. One more talk to him. I'm getting ready to leave to go home right after the meeting. He grabs me and says, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He says, what are you thinking about doing? <laughs> Well, I, I got a date with Nancy tomorrow night, and uh, I only got seven dollars. He said, "Well, it's going to be a short date." I said, "I got to figure it out." He said, "What are you going to do?" <laughs> I said, "Well, there's a Tom Thumb right next to me. I'm going to go." In. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, John. I know what you're saying. You can't go on the date. Right? I mean, I can't go on the date. Remember our deal? You could take her out as long as you're honest. You're not being honest. So what do you mean I'm not being honest? I'm being honest. No, you're not. When you cash that check at Tom Thumb, you are promising Tom Thumb you have that money in the bank. You don't have that money in the bank. You're lying to Tom Thumb. You're a liar. You're lying to the money. You're stealing money from Tom Thumb. You're not only a liar, you're a thief. She deserves better than that. You can't go. So what do I what do I do? You, know, you call up and tell her you can't go. <sighs> what happens when she asks why? You tell her you just can't afford to take her out. Oh my God. Not me. <laughs> oh, no. So I thought, well, it's Friday night. She's a single gal in Dallas, Texas. She's not going to be home. I'll leave a message on her machine. <laughs> so I call her up. She answers she the phone. She answers the phone. <laughs> I said, what are you doing home? It's Friday night. What are you doing home? She said, nothing. What? What's wrong? I said, well, I said, uh, about tomorrow night, I, I, can't, I can't go. She said, okay. So I said to her, I said, see, she's now alcoholic. She doesn't need to know why. <laughs> so I asked her I said well don't you want to know why she said well if you want to tell me I said well I was supposed to get paid today you know we get paid on the 15th 15th's not till Sunday they're supposed to pay me today they didn't pay me today I don't have the money I only got seven bucks in my pocket you happy 
<laughs> she, she, she says, what? What? you saying you don't have any money? That's right. I was, well, I didn't get paid today. Should have got paid today. Don't have any money. Satisfied? <laughs> she said, well, if that's your only problem, she said, we've been dating about three months at that time. She said, why don't we do this? But me and a cook for you, take your $7. You, you young people won't believe this. This is unbelievable what happens. But back then in the 80s, they had these stores that they would put VCR tapes in these stores. <laughs> they were called Blockbuster. Unbelievable. You go down there, you could rent a movie and take it home, put it in your little machine and watch it. They call them Blockbuster Dates. And uh, she said, rent a, rent a movie at Blockbuster and, and I'll fix dinner. We'll, we'll have dinner over here and we'll watch a movie. I couldn't believe it. Mm. So that's not the way I do it. You know, I'm the, I'm the knight on the white horse. Right. I'm going to ride into her life. Scoop her up, put her on the back of my horse, and ride off. I problem? I don't have money problems. Oh, money problems, baby. How, you, you need money? How much money do you need, baby? I got all kinds of money. You know, I, money's not my problem, baby. I got money. You know? That 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 ex husband giving you that ex boyfriend giving you a problem? You give me the nod, babe. I know people. I got people, right? This is not a problem for me. I can solve your problem, babe. So I'm going to ride into her life, put on the back of my horse, run off and, and solve the problem. That's what I am. And I, you find out real quick in AA, you know, that there are really three kinds of people. You have the damsels in distress. Okay? They're the ones that want you to take care of them. Then you have the Florence Nightingales. There's, a lot of them in, are in Al-Anon, but a lot of them are in AA. They're the ones that want to take care of you. So you got the damsels in distress that want to be taken care of. Florence Nightingale's want to take care of you. And quite frankly, I'm kind of bi in that area. I can go either way. I just need, <laughs> I just need to know. Do you want to take care of me or do you want me to take care of you? I don't care. You know, one of us is going to take care of the other one. I just, I just need to know which, which one you are. And then I'll, I can play the other role. It doesn't matter to me. And then you got the healthy ones. But don't worry about it. You'll never find them. Because <laughs> your broker is so broke, it'll never get fixed. Never get. Finding a good relationship in A is like finding a parking spot. At Christmas time. <laughs> you never find one. In fact, and if you do, it's going to be Mark Handicapped. <laughs> and it should be Mark Handicapped in AA. I'll tell you that right now. So, so anyway, I don't know how we got off on that. But I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, see, I like to paint this picture of what I think the girl wants. I don't know if that's what she wants or not. When I paint this picture of what I think she wants, and then it takes about six weeks for her to say, wait a minute, this picture of what this guy's been painting to me doesn't match up, you know? And so that's why relationships last six weeks. They're totally built on lies, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to money. I found out real quick, I'm not my pocketbook. Mm. I'm not the car I drive. I'm not my apartment or my home. What I am is I'm a child of God. And so let's find out if you like that guy before we spend all that time getting involved and, and all that emotional uh, energy and getting involved in. Let's find out if you really know who he is. And so uh, all those character defects can be dealt with the same way. How's you know, that? you're going to have to quit doing them mm -hmm. and pray to have God change you. And then God's going to change because nothing changes by writing about it. You're still a sober horse thief is what happens. You got sober and nothing's changed until six and seven. Okay, so you kind of, I'm thinking about the people now, uh, and it even makes reference to this, I believe, in the, um, in the 12 and 12. 
about how we come to God, we ask Him to remove our drinking problem, basically, and we're placed in that position of neutrality. But then some of these other things that keep cropping up for years and years, you know, whatever it may be. And no matter how many inventories I do, mm-hmm. no matter how much talking to my sponsor I do, it just seems as if I can't shake this one or two, possibly three things, whatever it is, right? There's always that big issue. So are you able to talk to those people that are out there thinking, I, I get what you're saying, John. It's not going to change till I change, but for whatever reason, I can't seem to shake this. Yeah. Because I think what happens is really pretty simple, and it's very normal. I think what happens when you come into AA, you're on a really broad path. See, because here's the problem. I don't even know what my character defects are today. Hmm. I don't know what's right or wrong. You can tell me, I'd quit doing that. You shouldn't do that. Until it bought, how many times people tell you you shouldn't drink like that? Right. And you wanted to quit. Couldn't do it. Until you're ready to quit. You know? And you can, you can tell me all you want. Don't do that. But until it bothers me, I can tell you this. There are things that I did last year that I can't do this year. Right. If I'm going to be comfortable in my own skin. There are things are doing, I'm doing right now that I won't be able to do in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. That's called progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. And we love to beat ourselves up. Some of the stuff we need to quit now. Right. Because they're really damaging a lot of you and a lot of other people. But I think what happens is when you come into AA, you're on a really broad path. You can run all over that path. As long as you don't drink, you're okay. Mm-hmm. And then a few years go by and the path gets a little narrower on you. And now you're doing the same stuff you were doing last year, but not drinking. And you're off the path. You're in the weeds and stumbling over rocks and bushes and weeds and stuff. And you got to give a couple things up. And then you're back on the path. You're okay. Now, you, as long as you don't drink and do these two things, you're okay. And then the path gets a little more narrow on you. And now you're off the path again. And you got to give up a couple more things. And I said, that's progress, not perfection. It's really... The path doesn't really get narrow. It's like an hourglass because it opens up. The more I'm able to surrender to God, the more freedom I actually have. When I came into AA, I gave up alcohol. Did I lose any freedom? No. Gained a world, a boatload of freedom, didn't I? Right. You know, it's like an hourglass. The more of those character defects I'm able to surrender to God, the more freedom I'm able to have. And the more I hang on to them, the more pain and anguish it causes. And it's, and it's progress. You know, we, we're going to come into AA and we think that after six or seven, the character defects are gone. They're not. That's why they keep talking about progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. It's going to, now I remember there was an old timer at Preston that I love. His name is Bruce Ligon. He's passed on now. Bruce had 40 years in the eighties and Bruce, uh, would sit in meetings, and when he would share, he would very he would share very little. I mean, words. His words were very, maybe maybe one or two sentences. 
and the whole thing. But and and we were talking about character defects, and he said, "Well, I've come to see that age will solve a lot of your character defects." <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You just don't have the energy to do that crap you used to. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. As you get older, your age is going to solve a lot of those character defects. And but what happens is, is that uh, when I because that's why it says entirely ready to have God remove these character defects. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you, I've never met a guy who was entirely ready to have God remove his character defects. We think we are. We may say the prayer. We may act like it, mm-hmm. and and we're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think God knows that's that's why it goes back to progress, not perfection. And I, quite frankly, don't have a clue what my character defects are today. I know that that uh, those character defects always create problems in your life. I know nothing bad has ever happened to me. It never has. I mean, was it bad that uh, I got arrested and I got thrown in jail. I got 40 EWIs and went to jail a lot for public intox. Was that, was that bad? Best thing in the world that happened because it got me here. Mm-hmm. How can I say that was bad? Because it got me here. Was it bad that I lived outdoors and was homeless and, and got down 135 pounds, didn't eat, had no place to live, was sober for a year when that happened? Was that bad? Best thing in the world that ever happened because mm-hmm. it got me here. So how can I say that's bad? Nothing, nothing bad's ever happened to me. And many of these defects, I believe that others can see in as well. Like, I, you know, I don't know about your wife Patsy, but my wife, I'm sure she can see things in me that, you know, I'm just blind to, and uh, they come up in time. So, and and one more thing, I want to talk to you about. And so, what I was thinking about when you were sharing were were secrets, okay? And when I say secrets, how how these things kind of blend into one another and getting rid of those character defects. And maybe there are those things that we do have a hard time shaking, but I see people keeping secrets and not sharing them with a sponsor or somebody else, some confidant. Have you run across that? During- yeah. And, and the solution to that, because we're as sick as our secrets. And uh, step 10 is where that comes into place. Because step 10 keeps the wreckage of the present from becoming wreckage of the past. And, you know, uh, we don't have the time probably to talk about uh, uh, 9 and 10 today. But uh, what happens is, is that you've got with somewhere, and it happens to everybody I know. And you want to talk about secrets. This happens to everybody I know. Somewhere between five years and ten years of a sobriety. I think what happens, you you become the ash you really are. Right. <laughs> Happened to me. And you wake up between five and ten years and you're in more pain than you ever were in your life. And you think, what the hell? I've worked the steps. I've done this. I've spoke here. I've done that. I've, I've sponsored people. And my life's a mess. And it's a whole nother, and that happened to me at nine years sober. And I was speaking that weekend at Tri-State Conference in Louisiana, Bossier, Louisiana. And I woke up, I'm supposed to speak Saturday night uh, at the banquet, 2,000 people there. And I woke up Saturday, I'm, and I'm just dying. Gave a terrible talk. Absolutely terrible. In fact, I ran to a Catholic priest that's six months later said, what's wrong with you? You get terrible <laughs> talk in Bossier. I said, yeah, you hear about it tonight. And uh, what happened to me started, this was, that was in 1988. 
And uh, what happened to me started, that was October of 1988, when I was speaking at Bozeman. What happened to me started in October of 87. And I found out that it takes me one year, it takes me one day to screw up my life and a year to accept it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was in October of 87, that's when the stock market crashed. Remember that, mm. young people don't remember that, but the stock market fell a third. We lost 35% of the value of the stock market in one day on Black Monday. And I lost a little money when that happened. Not a lot. Didn't have a lot in the market. And if I had talked to my sponsor and did what he did, which was nothing, uh, then I would have been fine because the market came back and by Christmas time it had recovered everything it had lost. You know, but I didn't do that. I'm smarter than that. I'm a smart guy. And uh, so I, I liquidated everything I had in there and started to play stock options to get back the little bit of money I'd lost. And over the next year, I lost about 40 times as much money as I lost that day. <sighs> 40 times. And the thing that was making me sick is nobody knew. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew. My sponsor didn't know. Nobody I sponsor knew. Nobody knew what, what, what was going on. My wife didn't know what was going on. And by the way, one thing I've got to tell you, the money I lost wasn't mine. Okay, it kind of was. It kind of was. <laughs> I had signed a note at the bank. They loaned me this money on a signature <laughs> oh, <gotcha>. note. <laughs> and I lost that. So I had this huge pile of debt. Wow. I had this huge pile of debt that I'd lost, and, and nobody knew except me and the bank. Mm. And the note was coming due. And I was in a lot of pain and worry about that because of, of that secret. And so I had to, I went home, got home, talked to my sponsor the next day, Monday, told him all about it. He shook his head. And he said, oh. he said, well, and he always says this, and I hate it when he says this. When I go to him with a problem, he always says this. Well, I got no magic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I want. Right. I want magic. I want you to give me the secret code word for AA that's going to solve this problem that I don't have to humiliate myself. That's right. You know, I want the magic. And he said, I got no magic. All I know is the steps. And uh, so he said, you need to write an inventory. Now, this is not a four-step. This is not where I go back and I write what happened to me when I was three that makes me buy stock options when I'm 30. That's not what this is. Mm -hmm. This is a one-year annual inventory it talks about. What have you been doing the last year? What secrets do you have the last year? Mm -hmm. And so I went home and wrote about it, met with him the next day, read it to him. He shook his head, and he said, well, you're going to have to change. So I had to go and, and kneel down and pray to have God change me, and then I had to go. Take the action to go to the bank, let the bank know I wasn't going to do it. I had to talk to my wife about it. Now, that's a real deal because here you got a situation where we're in Dallas, Texas, which is a community property state, and they always say that's a pretty good deal because you got half the spouse's assets, right? They do. You have half the spouse's assets. That includes half the spouse's debt. Oh, no. So I got to go to my wife. She, she, she thinks we're going fine. I got this huge pile of debt. And tell her I got this debt over here. Mm. So she was in, uh, uh, I went home that night on Tuesday and I made an appointment with her on Thursday. I said, I want an appointment. You want an appointment? Yeah, I want to meet with you at eight o'clock. Because I wanted to do it after she'd eaten because I didn't want her hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to do it before she got tired because I didn't want her tired. <laughs> so I picked eight o'clock, perfect time to do this. I knew she would get angry, and then I'd figure I'd be lonely. <laughs> but, but Hulk comes along, and they're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, so I figure. Got two of them covered. And, uh, 
<laughs> so we met and I told her everything that was going on. She cried and she talked to her sponsor. Things have been great. Things have been great. Except for one thing. I didn't quit doing it. And the next year, however, was just the opposite. 89 was just the opposite of 88. Everything I did, I made money on. June 10th of 1989, I made a fortune. I made more money on June 10th than I'd made my entire life. Founders Day. Yeah. And yeah. And what uh, what happened was uh, when you win like that, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm not supposed to be playing those options. And so I got to wait. This was a hard thing. You're going to get caught no matter what you do. When you win or lose, you're going to get caught. Because you win, you got to file your taxes. And they say, we made how much money? <laughs> Where'd that money come from? So you got to tell them. Right. And if you lose, then you got to tell them. So you're screwed no matter what. You're, when you're doing sneaky stuff, Bruce Legan called them schemes. I was a schemer. Mm-hmm. When you're doing those little schemes, you're screwed. You're going to get caught one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I made all this money. And so I had to tell her. So I liquidated everything. What I did is I took all my money. I paid off all the debt. She was in, in Chicago on business. I paid off all the debt, put them all the receipts in the middle envelope, put a deposit slip in the middle envelope. She came home from Chicago. I picked her up the airport Saturday. We went home and said to her, I said, come into the living room. I have something I want to share with you, honey. See how we share. <laughs> share. Yeah. And she looked at me and said, what did you do? I said, well, sit down. I handed her the envelope. She opened it up and found all these paid receipts and she big deposit slip. She said, what happened? And I said, well, honey, Tuesday, God told me to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and she cried. So I'm supposed to leave you. And I said, I know. That's why I put the deposit in there. And uh, everything would have been great because now I had all this money and, all, and no debt. Except for one thing, I didn't quit doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, we got we separated in August. That was in June. In August, we separated. We got divorced in October. She was thirty. We have a six day cooling off period in Texas. Uh, it was sixty one days. She she had the paperwork ready, man. As soon as we we separated, she filed it, and we were we were divorced sixty one days later. And uh, very painful. I couldn't figure it out. I was totally blind figuring it out. And I learned a lot in that period. That was some of the biggest growth in my life because I found out that, uh, see, when you're climbing a mountain, you can't see the mountain you're climbing. You can see all the other mountains around you, but you can't see the mountain you're on, you know? That's why you got to have a sponsor, you know, because your sponsor's not on your mountain. He can see the mountain you're climbing. And I couldn't see the mountain. I couldn't see the problem. Could not see the problem. I had to talk to my sponsor about it. And I said, I, I can't believe she's divorced me. Look at all the money. I mean, yeah, I lost a little bit of money last year, but if these years would have been reversed, if I'd have made all this money last year and lost that little bit this year, hell, I'd be writing books. They'd have me on the Today Show telling them how to make a million dollars in the stock market. You know, I'm a, they'd consider me a financial genius. I don't understand this at all. My sponsor said, Well, he said, I don't know what the deal is. He said, why don't you go home and we'll use the Benjamin Franklin approach, write down on a piece of paper, write a line down the center, put all the positive things buying stock options done for you on the left side, all the negative things it's done on the right side, see if you can learn anything. So I went home and on the right, on the left side, the positive stuff, I had one benefit. I made a little bit of money. That was it. Mm. Made a little bit of money. But what did it cost me on the right-hand side? Cost me my my marriage, cost me my home, it cost me my wife, it cost me my job, cost me my job. They fired me at work. 
Now, at that time, I was running the largest sales organization in, in this insurance company in New York, in the country. And uh, they fired me. They had to, because this was my schedule. Now, I'm nine years sober, and I can see nothing wrong with this behavior. I can't see the mountain. I get up five o'clock in the morning, because I got three newspapers I got to read, because I got to decide what, what I'm going to see. You young people don't know this, but back then, in the 80s, they actually took the news, <laughs> they would print it on paper. <laughs> Right. And then they would drop it off on your doorstep at five in the morning. <laughs> you couldn't pull up your phone and look at stuff. So I would I'd get up. I had five, three newspapers I read because I got to decide what I'm going to do. I go to the office, get there at eight o'clock because I got three stockbrokers I'm calling and working with. I'm on the phone talking to them what I'm going to trade. The market opens at eight thirty. By ten o'clock, I'm like a drunk needs a drink. And I got I got all these guys. I'm there to help. I'm of no value at all. By ten o'clock, I got to leave. I go home. Mm-hmm. Throw on the TV because I'm watching CNN, FNN, headline news, mm-hmm. watching all that ticker tape going across the bottom of the screen, calling my stockbroker, making trades. I'm a nut, right. you know, for a year. They had to fire me. I was no value to them. My wife comes home. She wants to go to dinner. I'm saying, honey, I'm tired. Been working all day. Let's, uh, let's order out. So order out. Can't even leave the house, you know. Mm. And that's hard to do because I'm watching CNN and that's hard watching those channels because she knows if I'm watching those channels, I'm in the market, I'm not supposed to be in the market. So I have to wait till she goes to bed. Then I click the channel off right. and uh, turn it over there and watch, step to two o'clock in the morning watching that stuff, you know, go to bed at two o'clock, get up at five o'clock, start my day all over again. I'm nine years sober. I can see nothing wrong with that behavior. Do you think I ever called my sponsor that year? No. Never called him once. Think I was of any value to anybody I sponsor that year? This is the phone. They'd call me. I'd say, you okay? Yeah, good. Call me tomorrow. Click. Hang up the phone. Right. No value at all to anybody. Ton of secrets. If at one time, just one time, I'd have called my sponsor. He said, How'd you, how's your day going? And I told him what I did today. Told him that schedule of what happened. It would have been over. It would have been done. Not one time. Ton of secrets. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody. And we get as sick of the secrets. You know, and all that stuff. What happens is step 10 is really a review of the first nine steps. That's what happens. John. Yeah. I absolutely love it. As usual, we went down some rabbit holes, which I absolutely love. Um, And but we're going to get back together again and we're going to record some more. Can you come say goodbye, Patsy? Just say. I don't know why. I just. I don't know if y'all want me to say what I was thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, go ahead. Say what you were thinking. I would love it. What were I you like thinking? Seen the guy on the white horse myself. <laughs> you no, know, y'all. No, he's a great guy. He really is, and he believes all the stuff he tells you. He's he loves people, and he loves his wife. And yeah, and now he talks about her once in a while instead of. <laughs> this is the good one. We've been together. We've been together thirty years, by the way. Wow, thirty years. Thirty years. Yeah. yeah this but, is the new one. This is the one that left me. Right, right. But this is uh, <laughs> something. You, you mean you had to learn yeah. everything you had to learn oh, in yeah. order to get here. And same yeah. with my wife. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I'm going to read from page 164. It says, "Abandon yourself to God as you understand God." Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me, Reno John, and Patsy, 
as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, John, thank you so much thank for you. spending time. Thank you, Reno John, once again, and Miss Patsy for being along there for a ride and letting us have access to Mr. John A. for a short period of time there. We sure do appreciate it. Now, remember, everybody, we do not want you sharing your gossip. However, we would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Pause that little device that you happen to be on, click the share button, and send it on over to somebody that you think may benefit from that particular episode. And who would not benefit from that particular episode? Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. And our first bit of listener feedback here comes from, well, it's actually a voicemail sent in from Rainy regarding Bob B. Here you go. Hi, John M. It's Rainy from the Isle of Wight, UK. Uh, thank you so much for your service, your podcast. It's just wonderful. Just been listening to Bob B. Part 1. Um, he is what I would call a straight-up man, which means he, he speaks really openly and honest, and um, I really enjoyed his share. And especially when he talks about, you know, surrendering again for the second time, um, eight years in and finding God. And, you know, I can so relate to that. Um, and, and I'm sure so many other people will as well. It really, really did help um, just to understand exactly what we do go through when we are getting sober and and how life carries on on life on life's terms so once again thank you so much and bob b really really admire your um your podcast thank you for sharing it thank you rainy over in the uk it is always wonderful to hear from you i really appreciate you Sending that in, and uh, and I know Bob B is going to appreciate it so much as well. You are correct; he is something special. Sarah writes in, and Sarah says, "Hello, John. I live in Michigan." I'm a Michigander. She could have said, but she did not say that. I added that part. She says, "I'm a mother and a wife, a paramedic, a social worker, and I am the one who always does the fixin'." You know what? It doesn't say fixing. It says fixing like a normal person. Down here in Texas, you know, we say fixing like we're fixing to do something. Anyway, she says, I'm always the one who does the fixing. I do not deal well with my own self-care. Obviously, she says, I am one day sober. Oh, God bless you, Miss Sarah. Um, I finally admitted I was powerless over alcohol and drugs. I assumed in my mind that if I could go three months without a drink, I wasn't an alcoholic. The paramedic finally realized that, yes, binge drinking is bad. I was trying to find a podcast that spoke to me. I know it's only been one day, but you really spoke to me, and I loved your humor. Thank you very much, Miss Sarah. Um, oh, gosh, how could I lose my place already? Uh, I loved your humor. The episode I was listening to was when you went to the dentist. 
Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I get a, there's another piece of uh, feedback coming up in a second about that. But anyway, she says, I'm terrified of my new journey, but I'm ready to find my higher power, Sarah M. Well, God bless you, Sarah. I know you will find your higher power if you just keep seeking. As they say, seek and you will find, ask. Uh, oh, wait a sec. Seek and you will find. Oh, gosh, I just, oh, knock and the door shall be opened. I think that's how it goes. But anyway, Sarah, thanks for writing in and congratulations on your early sobriety. Tanya writes in and Tanya says, Hi, John. I just want to thank you for your podcast. I've been listening to it for a few months now. I don't have much of a story. Oh, that's what they all say, but everyone's got their story about years of drinking and trouble. But I do know that I need to stop for my health and my peace of mind. Well, that's your story right there, Tanya. And there's a ton of people just like that. She says, I have always overdone everything, overdrink, overeat, etc. Today, I heard Patrick B. And wow, I think God sent his message straight to me. By the way, if you go and you search Patrick B. Uh, on our website, uh, what she's talking about is Patrick's... Uh, episode from a long time back. He was kind of a combination of uh, AA and OA, and she listened to that. When I say OA, that's over, uh, Overeaters Anonymous. But she said, I have never been able, I have never been to OA or AA, but I think I will try to go now. I had no idea there were so many resources for help. Thanks again, John, for your podcast. You may have just saved my life. Oh, so that's sweet, Tanya. Right, listen, all I know is that I'm thankful that you allow me to be a small part of your journey. And thank you so much for writing in. Keep me posted. Now, David writes in, and the title or the subject line on this one was Excess Saliva. <laughs> so he is talking about an episode where I talked about going to the dentist a, a couple, three episodes back. I don't even know which one it was on, but he says, oh, John, my brother, I'm listening to you describe your excessive production of saliva. Ugh, I have a thing about that. For whatever reason, when I'm talking to people who appear to have a lot of spit, when they speak, I get an uncomfortable urge to hock up my own mouthful of saliva. I have to talk to myself in earnest and sometimes do not spit in front of them. Oh no, I'm thinking about it now. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can't even believe I did that while I'm talking about excess saliva. But anyways, there's a local news anchor who I perceive to always have a huge mouthful of spit and I just can't watch him. I do have to thank you in this case, though, because I'm spreading uh, gravel and my mouth is getting really dry, or at least it was. Now I have to think of a mouthful of spit and I don't have to stop what I'm doing to go into the house or get a drink of water. Keep up the good work, my friend. I enjoy your rambling, unlike some people like the lovely Mrs. M. Cheers, David. <laughs> David A., thank you so much. I can remember when I started sharing that about my visit to the dentist. Um, and by the way, for those of you who didn't hear it, oh, I'm not going to go back through it again. But I, I remember before I started sharing this, I, I, said to my, I said to myself out loud, actually, on the podcast, I'm pretty sure I said, I don't know if I should be sharing this, but I don't know, here goes nothing. 
Michelle writes in. She says, hi, John M. I am a member of Al-Anon from MD. For those of you who don't know, that is Maryland. My husband is an active alcoholic, and I have been in Al-Anon in recovery since February 2nd of 2021. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now, and it brings me hope that my husband will find his way into long-term recovery one day. I have always been into podcasts and I search Alcoholics Anonymous and and iTunes podcasts and that's where I found Sober Speak. I like Bill C, but the most recent one that I liked was Jennifer HK. I won't say I resonated with the stories personally, but they helped me better understand the alcoholic disease and in turn helped me increase my compassion for my qualifier. Thank you so much for your service, Michelle Gee, well, thank you, Michelle, for writing in, and God bless you and your family, and I hope your husband does get on the right path there. DK writes in, and DK says, hi, John. I go by DK. So I asked him, he had written in, and I responded, and I said, is your name DK? He says, hi, John. I go by DK for short. It's Darren K, uh, but DK is easier and cooler, I think. (laughs) I think it's cooler also. In fact, I think there is a... um, a DK, yeah, 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 a football player named DK Metcalf, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, a, a receiver up in Seattle. For what it's worth, I came across your podcast recently, a few months now, and yes, I resonate especially with one you did with Wayne H., hardcore atheist marine finds God of his understanding. I share that one a lot, especially on my personal blog I play with, and I hope that's okay. Of course, DK, you can share that episode on your blog. He says, I'm an alcoholic trying to put my life back together here in a small town in Oregon, St. Helens. Oh, Oregon. So you're up near DK Metcalf, who should be in the Seattle area in the Pacific Northwest. Nonetheless, I digress, as I do many times times. He says, I wasn't expecting an actual person when I signed up for your mailer. That's pretty cool. He said, I really like your podcast and enjoy them on a regular basis and spread the word as much as I can here in this little town, which is actually pretty heavily involved in recovery and all sorts of, but pretty, uh, all sorts of things, but pretty heavily AA centered, which I like a lot. Anyway, thanks for making my day and being a person and not a bot (laughs) when I'm signing up. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Have a great day, DK. Well, that rhymes, DK. Have a great day, DK. And you have a great day as well, my friend. Scott writes in, and it says, greetings from New Jersey, and he spells out in parentheses, Joyzy, J-O-I-S-E-Y. <laughs> I think he is making a reference to what I say on the pod sometimes. He says, hello there, John. As my subject line indicates, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic from New Jersey. I remember getting sober in the beginning of August 2012. However, I honestly don't, do not remember if my last drink was the first, second, or the third. Those last few days were kind of a blur. I get it, my friend. He said they were kind of a blur after one last binge. So I was 
So I always say my sobriety date is August 2nd, 2012. So I will be upcoming on, so I will be coming up on nine years in the next few weeks. Anyway, I have three things I wanted to bring bring up. Oh, I like it, the bullet points like this. One, I was just listening to Angie B, part two, and the last line of her talk resonated with me for two reasons. The line went, quote, we are to be of service. I'm going to be of service for you. You be of service for somebody else, and we will change this world, unquote. Yes, I love that. It reminds me uh, so much of the great work that we Alcoholics Anonymous, that we members of Alcoholics Anonymous are here to help each other with. But I also am a member of the Alpha Phi Omega program, a national service program fraternity. I pledged in college and I am still active in its alumni. Bullet point number two, I also had gastric bypass surgery in 2004. So I wanted to say to the remember, to the member who had their surgery, you are not alone. I think he's talking about somebody who wrote in on the uh, uh, listener feedback here. He says, I remember a counselor talking to me way back in 2008 when I went to my first rehab saying something along the lines of that people who had gastric bypass surgery and alcoholism seem to be a growing concern among a percentage of those who have had the same surgery. I just wanted to pass along that piece of info. Thank you, Scott. Bullet point number three. Lastly, over the past year, I seem to have been turning to food as my comfort, so much so that I've gained about 100 pounds. As I have been listening to the podcast, I feel like my obsession to eat is slowly lifting it's it's small, one step at a time and one day at a time, but my boredom snacking while I sit here working from home and listening to you and the speaker of the hour is easing my anxiety to eat and not snack as much. Thank you for all you do and keep up the great work. I apologize if this email has taken so long to get through, but I guess I had a lot to say and a lot to share. God bless you, Scott. You know, this is one of those things. You go out, you create a little uh, podcast or something, and you never know what the unintended consequences are going to be. And in this case, uh, I did not think about it helping with somebody... um, and alleviating their boredom and snacking. And uh, thank you so much for writing in, Scott. I really appreciate that. Amy writes in, she says, hello, I am newly sober, just over two months. I'm in Illinois. I found you by doing a Google search for AA speakers. I listen to a different episode every morning on my walk. I love all of the episodes that I've heard so far. People driving must think I'm nuts. I'm usually laughing or crying. (laughs) Thank you for all you for all you do and what your guests are doing. I'm really struggling with steps two and three right now. So I've been focusing on the steps episodes, step episodes. So thanks again, Amy. Thank you, Amy. And keep laughing and crying there. Uh, (laughs) Let them think you're nuts. Mandy writes in and Mandy says, well, you came and you gave, well, I'm taking, but I sent you away, oh, Mandy. So I don't know why I'm doing Elvis, doing Barry Manilow when I'm thinking about Mandy, but there you have it. Anyway, she says, hi, John, I'm 39 years old, and I've been drinking since the young age of 12. My parents are both alcoholics. 
So drinking came very easy for me. I'm from Portland, Oregon. In high school, I dump half my pop out and fill it with my dad's McNaughton's whiskey. I will bet you anything that I don't think that she, she says she's from Portland, but I bet she grew up in the Midwest because when people say pop like that, pop, they're usually from the Midwest. Anyway, she says, I drink right alongside him and he had no idea because he was so wasted. I've drank pretty much every day since my late 20s. These past few years have become out of control. I'm mentally and physically and, and exhausted and I've had many bottoms. I recently in the past few months discovered the so community, podcasts, books, AA, etc. The longest I've lasted in the last few months have been 23 days and I'm on day one again. Well, congrats, Mandy, on day one. All I can do is keep trying at this point. I found you, John M., on the Bubble Hour, and I've recently been listening to your podcast. She's talking about a, a uh, an episode that I recorded over there on the bu- on uh, the Bubble Hour. Gene, uh, I really like Gene. Anyway, she says I really enjoy listening, and it's becoming very helpful. Thanks, John. Well, thank you, Mandy. Well, you came and you gave what I'm taking, and I sent you away, oh, Mandy. I'm sorry. I bet you've gotten that like a million times in your life or possibly you've not gotten it hardly at all and i'm just the only weirdo who does something like that chitana writes in she says thank you so much for letting me know about what's involved in participating with the blog well you're welcome chitana and she says at this point i will not be able to help out that's all right but when that changes i will contact you again i will also let you know if anyone uh, who may be interested by the way julia k was the keynote speaker and the at the AA convention I attended and I that I went to here in person in Italy. I love her totem animal being a cockroach. <laughs> she was wonderful and so full of energy. I bet she was fun to interview. Well, she was, Chitana. John, thank you for your service to the sober world. Your podcasts are wonderful. Blessings to you and yours, Chitana. Grateful alcoholic in Avellino. Italy. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It could be Avellino, Italy. I think I just said the exact same thing with a really bad accent. Anyway, God bless everybody. That's the end of this one. We'll take this one week at a time. Hopefully, I will be back next week. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.